The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Sheila Zielinski Show. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to be with me here today. I have a great show. It's part two of John Terrell's teaching called Demons, Depression, and Sickness. This is part two. There is also part one linked. If you have not heard that, do go back and listen. Getting a lot of great feedback on that. And what's really exciting about this two-part series, folks, is that we're going to open a phone line up for you to ask any questions you want. That's next Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. If you have any questions on this series, John's going to be live there. I'm going to be on the call, and we're just going to take your questions. I'll have that information posted on the bio. So do join that call if you have any questions on this two-part series entitled Demons, Depression, and Sickness. I'm really anxious to jump into the show. Very quickly, before I introduce John, I want to remind people I am having a video equipment fundraiser. If you have not heard about it, simply go to weekendvigilante.com. A banner will come up. Click on it, and you can help support that effort of live streaming video is 10 to 20 percent more impactful than plain old old school audio and it is time for me to get with the times I've been wanting to do that for quite a while so again just very impactful in advancing God's kingdom and I really appreciate you getting behind that we have not raised our funds we do have 40 days left but I say why wait? Let's get this done, get the amount raised and all that information. If you've been punching a search bar fundly, that's f u n d l y. Again, that's f u n d l y. Type in my name Sheila Zelinsky and it will come up there in a search or you can simply go to the website weekendvigilante.com and I really appreciate you getting behind this. I've wanted to do it for quite some many years. It is time. Just one final thing. If you cannot access weekendvigilante.com, that means that you have to clear your cash. And very lastly, do not forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm going to have some exclusive shows that are only for my YouTube subscribers. That means They're not going to be available on podcast or even on the archives or the apps. And if you don't have the apps for Android and iPhone, get it. It's working perfectly. If yours is not working and it's booting you out, please just delete your app. Go to the app store, search Weekend Vigilante, and just re-download it. And I'm sorry for all the inconvenience of my website being down and off and on for 30 days just a headache. I think we've got everything kind of squared away now. Thank God. Well, without further ado, it is John Terrell. John, it's so good to have you back. I'm going to hand you the mic, sir. Praise the Lord, and thank you for having me on your program, Sheila. And I'm going to be speaking today about demons, sickness, and depression. And uh, this will be my second installment. I spoke about this in the program previously. And all of us are from time to time experienced demonic attacks. 
They can be very sudden. They can be very bad. And it simply just derails us and we, we just can't function properly. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to speak first about our authority. There's one thing that happened to me when I came back to Christ in 1965. And uh, we joined a little Southern Baptist church in Salt Lake City, Utah, in January 1966. And um, one day, a lady in the church asked me, are you saved? And I told her, I hope so. I'm working on it. And my pastor was listening to me. So he said, John, come over here. Sit down. Let's talk. And I had a Lutheran background, which is similar to a Catholic background. So he told me this. He said, you not hope you're saved. Either you're saved or you're not saved. He went through those scriptures and showed me about salvation. He showed me that when you're saved, you're saved, you receive eternal life right there and now. And something happened to me. He spent about 15 minutes with me. And from that day on, I have never, never doubted my salvation. So this is the first step to victory is that you've got to make sure that you know that you're saved, that you do not have doubts, because the devil will come from time to time and say, you know, hey, you're not saved. You can do things like this and say things like that and think things like this. You're not saved. So you need to settle that. And that's what I did. And you settle that by going to, and I'm not going to read that scripture right now, but I'm going to give it a reference. It's from the Gospel of John, and uh, it is from chapter 10, and the verses number 27 through 30, where Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So that's the first thing. In order now for you to have victory, you got to understand that you got authority. And it is just like being in combat. If you're a combat soldier and uh, you feel insecure, unsafe, and so on, those are the soldiers that get killed. You got to be confident. And this is one thing that the Lord put in me immediately in 1966 confidence, because I began to feel and think that my God was superior. There's no one else besides him. He can do all things. The devil is just a created being, and we have the authority. So let's begin to look upon our authority right now so that we know what we're doing. And I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 1. And when he, Jesus, had called to him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Same chapter, verse 7. And as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely receive, freely give. Now, these are the twelve apostles. If we now turn to the Gospel of Luke and we turn to chapter 10, and we read here from verse number 1. And after these things, the Lord appointed on the Sabbath also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where the he himself would come. Therefore said it to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, 
that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And then the same chapter, verse number 17, we read this. And his seventh returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. And he said to them, I beheld Satan and lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, rejoice not that the spirit is subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, I got 50 years of combat experience. So I'm standing upon this authority. But so some people says, well, that was for the disciples and that was for the 70 others. And then I simply said, well, let's look upon Matthew chapter 28. That's Matthew chapter 28. And we pick it up in verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So Jesus told his disciples here, You go out and teach. Everything that I told you to do, you tell the new disciples to do the same thing. Preach the gospel, cast the demons out, heal the sick, raise the dead, and so on and so on. It is all ours to do. We have the authority. Now, in my last program that I did here, I told you that I was attacked twice, and I got so depressed that I simply shut down and I couldn't think. And I had other people pray me out. So that happened to me three times. But after the third time, I got wise. I got angry. I got mad at it. Well, you know what I was going to say, but I'm not going to say that. And I simply said this. We are through playing these games. No more games with the devil. I am going to take authority. Let me give you some examples here of what I had to do in my life. Let me take you back to 1973. This was just before the Vietnam War had ended in 1975. So the Vietnam War, we were just pulling our troops out of Vietnam, but the war was going on. We were in Sweden. Sweden was a socialist country. And they were on the side of the communists, and there were daily demonstrations in Sweden, particularly in Stockholm, the capital. And where they were demonstrating and said, death to the Americans, and so on. Well, we were driving into Stockholm, this is about in, in June or early July. And uh, we didn't have any meetings there, but I want to show the team. I had uh, about 10 teenagers, uh, young people with us. And we were about 14 people in, in our van. And I want to show them Stockholm, pretty town. So as we drove in, now we had on our sites European and American events, Crusades as a logo. Jesus is coming soon. We had all kind of Bible verses written in the, on the front. It said, Jesus saves. And in the back, it said, we follow Jesus. Who do you follow? I mean, we were plastered with Jesus stuff. We had California plates on. It was obviously that we were an American group in Stockholm. 
So I drive into town, have been a few times, but not that familiar with it. And suddenly I find myself on a street surrounded by people. And I mean, we were talking about in front of us and back of us, thousands of people. And they were screaming, having signs, death to America, kill the Yanks, and, and so on. And I looked out the window and I said, oh, my God, this is a demonstration against Vietnam. We are sitting ducks. We will be just like a juicy steak for a hungry dog. And immediately what kicked into me was authority, anger determination and I simply said to the group pray start praying and we pray this way in the name of Jesus blind these people they will not see our van father God have angels open up the mass so I can drive out of this mob and would you believe suddenly in front of me the people just kind of moved on the side I slowly inched forward, and they were screaming. They couldn't see our van. And I was able to drive off to a side street and leave. And we just got out of there. Not even Scott, they didn't even bang on the walls of the van. What I'm telling you is simply this you got to take authority, and you got to come to the place that you are not going to let the devil play with you. You have the authority. And so I had the faith that the young people and my wife that were with me, we had the faith. And we got out of that situation unsketched because I tell you what would happen. If they would have seen our van, they would have opened the doors, dragged us out, beat us up. They would have set the van on fire. You've seen that so many times now. And that would have been the end of that particular little crusade that we had that summer. But... You have the power to simply say, no, I am not going to take this. Let me share this other thing with you. Back in 1990, I was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And it happened this way. I started getting sick. And uh, on a Sunday night, they had to take me home. I laid out in bed. And I was just out. I mean, I was just in la-la land. I had a song lead at that time, his wife and his grandmother, and they were prayer warriors. So they came over to the house. I felt like vomiting. I felt lousy. I didn't want anyone in. So I heard them come in, and they said, we want to see John. So my wife said, sure, here is in the bedroom. So they come on in, cheerful, happy, I'm sick like a dog. So I didn't really, you know, want to have company. So they said, well, we're just going to go to work. And they began to cast the demons out. They broke curses. They just, I mean, they had a prayer meeting. And in less than a few minutes, I was fine. I got up. We had a little get-together in the kitchen. We had some food to eat and so on. And I was just fine. So the next day, I decided, I still had some problems with my stomach. I decided to go and see a doctor. So he looked me over, and he said, well, he said, this doesn't look good. We're going to have you send you to have x-rays. This is the time. When I was on the radio, on AM radio, I was on every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday. So I got to this place where they took x-rays, and the technician was one of my listeners. So I walked in, and uh, he looked at me, and I said, what are you doing here? 
you're the preacher. You're supposed to be well. I says, well, you know, I got some problems. So he took the x-rays. And afterwards, I said, tell me, what do you say? He says, well, I don't want a doctor. I'm supposed to tell you. Hey, as a friend, as a Christian friend, tell me, what do you say? He says, well, you got leashes. You got all kind of stuff for your stomach lining. He said, it doesn't look good. So I said, thank you very much. And then I went for the next appointment, which was to see a specialist. So my wife and I went to this particular hospital, went to see the specialist. Hence, we walked in, and um, he was from India. And he looked at me, and he says, well, I looked at the x-rays. We got this and that. He said, it doesn't look very good. He says, we're going to have to drop in a little camera to your stomach. This was 1990, where they had not as much stuff they had today. And see what you got. I said, okay. How much? Five grand. I didn't have any insurance. I woke up. Five grand. I can't afford that. So at that spot, I simply said, thank you very much, doctor. I got a different doctor I'm going to go to. So I thank you for your time. So he said, well, who's your doctor? Dr. Jesus. So we walked out. I walked a little bit ahead of my wife. We had to walk there to the car or the parking lot. And I prayed. Then I pray out loud, just pray to my head. I said, Lord, you're going to have two things that are going to happen right now. Either you will heal me or take me home. But I'm not going to mess with any more doctors. And I just made a firm commitment and said, in the name of Jesus, I believe that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I am healed. That's it. And we got in the car. I drove home and I told my wife. That's the, that's the end of this, but we're running with doctors. I'm done. Well, that was 1990. I regained my strength, had no problems, and that is now 27 years ago. So I learned over the years that you have to take authority. And you've got to simply say this, I am not going to let the devil win. Let me take you now to John chapter 14. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 14. My authority comes from the Word of God. And I believe in the Bible. I use the King James Bible. I believe that this is the Word of God. I have a solid faith. And this is what I want to convey to you. I have a solid faith in the Bible, in the Word of God. I have a solid faith in God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And I'm not putting up with any nonsense. I'm simply sick and tired of Satan and his demons. And I'm a bad boy in the kingdom of Satan. They just do not like me. Now, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 11, these are beautiful verses. Jesus said, Believe me that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me, whereas believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, sent to you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Greater works than he shall do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray to Father, he shall give you the comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Key verses here. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name. Now, I learned early in my, my walk here that I don't throw the blood around. 
because the blood of Jesus has one purpose, to cleanse us from sin. But it does not have any magical power. Matter of fact, if you have crosses, things, whatever it is, uh, this turn into charismatic witchcraft. We have one power tool in the name of Jesus. His name carries everything. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is ingrained in me now, and I've been through a lot of different combat situations. So let me tell you now about a Baptist preacher by the name of Gordon Ginn. And um, he was a buddy of mine. Matter of fact, I brought him into the baptism of the Spirit and so on. But Gordon Ginn was a very solid Baptist preacher. And um, so we did some collusion. We were working on books together and so on. So one day I got a call. This is good about, about in the 1980s. I got a call from his wife. And she said, you got to come over to the house. Gordon is laying in bed. He's paralyzed. He can't move. So we only lived about a block away. I walked into his bedroom, and sure enough, here's Gordon laying in his bed. He's about 55, 60 years old. He could not move his arms. He could not move his legs. He could not move anything. He just laid in bed, and he, he could talk. That's all he could do. He was paralyzed. I said, what happened? He said, it happened very sudden. What have you done? Well, here comes the story. There was a place in San Francisco at that time it was called the Church of Satan. And Anton LeVay was a high priest of that, and they had a sacrifices and all kind of things that carried on. So one of the women that they had on the altar from time to time, and every time they had a service with a woman on the altar, she was raped and sexually abused and so on. And she had jumped ship, came up to Sacramento, we were two hours from San Francisco, and got into a hotel, got a phone book, looked under churches and found Gordon's church, called him up and said, I need help. Well, he was not baptized on the spirit. He did not believe in cast out of demons, but he was a good Baptist. He says, well, you know, I can pray for you and so on. So uh, they brought her over and they prayed with her. They led her to Christ and so on. And uh, everything was fine as far as that goes. However, demons travel there's a network of demons. So the people in San Francisco at the Church of Satan and the Levee found out that this woman was up in Sacramento. He found out the pastor. Matter of fact, they astral projected into his house and got all the things. And they said, we're just going to strike him. So they had a service in San Francisco. They conjured up some demons. And they sent this demon up. They struck him. And he was out, paralyzed. So here I am now, standing in his bedroom with my wife. His wife was beside herself, looking up on this man that didn't really have a lot of faith. Now, I could do two things. I could simply say, well, this is beyond me. Uh, we got to get a group together and so on. But you know what? I got hopping mad. I got angry. And I told my wife, and I said, let's just go and rip these demons out. So I just began to attack. I broke the curses spoken there. I commanded the spirit to come out. 
And I said in the name of Jesus, you're loosing right now. Boom. He was loosed. And he began to move. Got out of bed. Of course, it was a great miracle to him. His wife just standing with her mouth open, you know. Wow. I said, well, you know, it's no big deal. It's in the name of Jesus. We have the authority over these demons. So I told Gordon, I said, what you're doing is you're messing with stuff. Unless you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and know what you're doing, you will end up on a short stick. So he thanked me and so on. So, you know, they were going to continue and uh, told them what they had to do. About two weeks later, I got a call from Gordon's wife again. John, get over here. Gordon got a gun. He had it cocked. He's sitting with it against his head. He's going to kill himself. Well, we drove fast over this time, got in there. And here was his sitting. And just a pitiful sight. And now, I'm not afraid. I just went up. I took that gun. I said, give it a gun. I put it away. I said, now. And I began to attack. I didn't even talk to Gordon. I just attacked the demons. Demon of death, suicide. I ripped them out of that body. And it was just like, snap. He came back to his right mind and said, what? I said, Gordon, you have to protect yourself. You're going to have to be more in prayer. You have to have the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be messing with people from the occult, you cannot be a Baptist preacher. It doesn't work. Well, praise the Lord. He learned a few things. We prayed with him some more and so on. And he never had a problem again. Now, this lady decided to leave Sacramento. She was scared. She didn't, She wanted to get away from them. So she moved because the second lady, when she heard that the first lady made it and was doing fine, a second woman from the satanic church in San Francisco jumped, came also up, and they prayed with her. So they moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and enrolled in a, in a college there. I don't know what college. But I want to share with you now the power of Satan. So these people in San Francisco decided that we are not happy with this. They send an assassin to Tulsa, Oklahoma. She's walking on the campus one day at lunch, going from a class to something else, and this guy had a gun, silenced on it. He killed her right there on the spot. The other lady was able to escape. So people from the occult, particularly Satanists, they will not give up. So I'm certain we, we could stay, have this girl stay with us. We could minister. They were about 22, 23 years old. But I want to share with you this, that we did not back down when it came to the demons. And we simply took authority over them. Let me take you now to the book of James. I'm going to throw in a scripture here now. This is the book of James. And we're going to read from verse number one. And some of you might say, well, you know, I don't have the faith that you have. I'm kind of scared and so on. Well, you're going to have to make up your mind. Who do you believe? Do you believe that God has power or do you believe that Satan has more power? You've got to make up your mind. In James uh, chapter 1, verse number 5, we read this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally, a bright is not, that means he's not rebuking us, and it should be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavered, 
For he that wavers is like a wave out of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not a man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, you've got to have faith. You've got to make up your mind. And someone says, well, how do you get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the reason I got faith was early in my life, I started reading the Bible. I read through the Bible. I kept reading in the Bible. I'm always in the word. And this is where faith is coming. But let me now go down to your level where you're at. You might be defeated. You might have a sickness. You might have the, maybe had a car accident or whatever's happened to you. And your body is broken. And you're in pain. And you're confused. And you're sitting there and saying, you know, it's okay for you to do that because you are well. And so well, there was a time I was sick. I've been sick. And I had to claw myself out of it. I had to fight myself out of sickness. So where do you start? You've got to make a proclamation. And that is this. Are you saved? Yes, you're saved. Do you believe that you are saved for eternity? And that's a question you've got to settle. Because if you think that you're in, you're out, you're in and out, you're not going to have any faith. You've got to go to John chapter 10 and read that. And then you've got to do this. Now, does God have all power? Well, intellectually, you can simply come to this conclusion. He is a creator. He made everything. He owns everything. Everything is created by him. There's no one besides him, behind him, or above him. God is supreme. Yes, God has all the power. That's fine. Now we come to the next question. Does God love you? Ah, um, you know, we're not too sure about this now. And that's a strumpy I struggled with for years until I got that settled. Does God love me? And then you say, you must say now, yes, I have faith for Joe over here and Susan over there and so on, but I'm not sure that God will care about me. Well, here's a scripture. God does not respect our persons. In the book of Acts chapter 10, God does not respect our persons. God has no favorites. He loves you, me, everybody else the same. He loves us with the same equal love. Okay, so if that's true, then God will hear my prayers. Yes, he will. There's only one little thing that you've got to do first. And I'm going to take you right now to the Gospel of Mark. That's the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter. That's Mark 11, and uh, we want to pick it up in verse number 12. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, Jesus came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto him, No man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And his disciple heard it. Now, Jesus answered, that means that a tree or some entity was in that tree and talked to him. And he spoke back and he simply cursed the tree by saying, No one is ever going to eat fruit of you again. Speaking negative is a curse. Then in verse number 20, this is the next day now. 
And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Not from the top, but from the roots. And Peter Cullen remembers it to him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. For verily I said to you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be removed, be you cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which you said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Wow. Faith. Speaking. You will have it. There's a little bit here, and we need to add to it. Therefore, I said to you, what things have you decide when you pray? Believe that you receive them, and you should have them. You have to have faith that you believe that you are going to get what you need. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any, that your Father also which in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, forgiveness is an absolute must. The way that I was before I came back to Christ, I was a nasty guy. I like to do revenge. If somebody crossed me, I want to pay them back, and I want to double pay them back. I was a mean guy. So God showed me this. you got to forgive. You have to forgive. And if you don't forgive, then God will not hear your prayers. John, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't understand how bad it is. I don't have to understand. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter what has been done to you. You have to forgive. It doesn't mean that you hang out with the people. It doesn't mean that you have to work with the people. But you got to forgive them, release them, and say in the name of Jesus, I release you, I forgive you. How do you know that you really have forgiven someone? When you hear their names and you have not any emotions in your soul, nothing then you know that you really have forgiven him. If there's some pain coming up, some anger coming up, no, you haven't forgiven them. It's still there. You've got to come to the place that you really forgive. And let me share with you how I learned that. This goes back to my time in Salt Lake City. I was a Sunday school superintendent. I was very active in a church. At the same time, I had a job. I worked for the highway department. I was running an office as an office manager in an engineering office. One day in a church, I got a couple that came in from Canada. And um, so we talked to them and so on. We found out that the man was a Baptist preacher. He had been divorced, lost his uh, ministry, married this woman, and uh, he had repented and so on. But he was a broken man. And he had no job. He had no skills. So she got a job working for the university in, in the medical department there. And so I felt sorry for him. I said, look, I think I can get you a job as a draftsman. Let me talk to my boss. So the next week I talked to my boss and said, we got this guy in church. He's a former preacher. He kind of crashed. Um, pretty decent guy. I think he can be a good, we can probably train him to be a good draftsman to to work for us in the office. So uh, my boss said, okay, bring him down and let me interview him. So 
he interviewed him and he got the job. So um, he now worked in my office as my draftsman. So I was training him. Now, every morning we lived in Salt Lake City. I was working in a town called Orem, which is south of, of Salt Lake City. So we had to drive one hour down every morning and one hour home. That's the commute time, two hours a day. So this guy, his name was Charles, rode down with us with two other guys before I was carpooling. So every morning we drove down, we were talking and so on. Sometimes we slept. And so one day, one of my other guys in the office came to me and said, you know, uh, is that your friend? Is Charles your friend? I said, yeah, he's my friend. He's a Christian brother from church. He said, he's not your friend. He's backbiting about you. He's stirring up the whole office and he's, he's trying to have you fired. I said, what? I couldn't believe it. So I found out that this, he has simply turned on me. He was simply talking to people. He, he turned my secretary against me. I had a problem working with her and so on. And there was strife. And I tell you what, I got sick. I went to my boss. I said, hey, you and I really get along well. We worked together for some time. I want to transfer out to this office. I can't take this guy, Charles. He's turned on me. So my boss said, yeah, I know it. But he said, I need you. You're too valuable. I'm not going to let you lose. I need you to work to be my running this office for me. I said, okay. So one day, as I was driving, we were driving home. I had to spend eight hours with him in the office. I had to ride home with him every morning, every night, ride down every morning. And he was talking. He was just killing me. Cheerful, blah, 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 talking to the others in the car. And I was sitting in the back seat, you know, I was nothing to him. So got home that one night, and I began to feel the room was just spinning. And I told my wife, I said, I don't know what's happening, but my lights are going out. She called a friend of ours, a deacon in the church. He came over. By that time he came over, I was laying on bed. I mean, I was not movable. See, they loaded me up in a car. He had called the doctor. The doctor said, meet me in the hospital. So they took me to the hospital. By the time I got to the hospital, I was out. And they, all I remember was they put me on a slab, took my clothes off, and started examining me. And um, they found out that I had a virus, one of these viruses that was just galloping through my system. And it was deadly. And I passed out. My wife went home. She couldn't stay. And I just lay there. And my wife, she was on her knees, and she prayed, interceded for God that he would help out. So... In about three, four days, I did recover, and I come back. And I realized now what happened was this, that my grief was so great, my soul was so disturbed, that it simply created a disease to get me out of the office. So that's what I, I got sick. So my boss came up to visit me, and I said, hey, boss, his name was Bill, I said, Bill, you got to let me go. I got to go some other place. I can't stay with this guy. I, I'm just sick of it. And Bill said, yeah, I understand that. He said, I'll be nice to you. So we, we get to transfer another office and, and so on. So I got transferred. My last day in the hospital, I'm laying there, praising God. Guess what? In comes Charles and his wife. He comes in with a big grin on his face, a big bouquet of flowers. And he says, John, we got some flowers for you. I hope that you're doing better. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, the guy was phoning as a $3 bill. And I just laid in bed. 
And I said, God, I mean, my emotions were running up and down. I mean, I was running 10,000 volts in my nervous system. I just managed to grin and say, well, thank you. I don't know how long he stayed and he walked away. And then God spoke to me and said, you have to forgive him. But I said, Lord, I took mercy on him, pity on him. I helped him to get a job. I trained him as a draftsman. I did nothing but good to the man, and he is turning it back. Look what he's done. And God said, you have to forgive him. Oh, Lord. And I realized I had to forgive him. In myself, I didn't have it. If I would have had a gun and had him outside someplace in North Sea, I would have pulled the trigger and just sent him on. But... I laid in the hospital bed, looking at those flowers of Charles. And finally I said, Lord, help me to forgive him. I don't have it in me. I don't have it. And the love of God came into me and took away the bitterness, the root of bitterness, the anger, the rage. And suddenly I had peace. I can talk about Charles today. I have no emotions. I feel sorry for him. He later on quit. I don't know where he went. He was a loser. I was not. And, and years later, I mean, before this, I talked about him. And there's not an inkling of any emotions in my soul, except I feel sorry for him. I forgave him. I got out of that bed got into the new job and moved on in my life. And later I, was, I quit my job to go full-time into the minister. But I said, all of this to you, if you didn't stand this, regardless if you had a divorce, regardless if you lost a child in childbirth, and you blame God for that, you blame yourself for that, whatever you have in your life, if you're battling sickness right now, you're battling some kind of damage in your body, whatever it is, Stop and say, Lord, search my heart, search my soul. If I have any unforgiveness, and you see, not unforgiveness only to others, but to yourself, because you see, you got to forgive yourself. Some of you might have had an abortion, and later on, you got saved, you woke up, and you're thinking many times about that little baby. You could feel the baby was in the womb. You felt the emptiness when he was taken out and killed. And you're blaming and you're saying, I killed, I'm a murderess. I murdered my baby. Listen, if you ask God to forgive you, he forgave you. You got to forgive yourself. You got to release yourself and say, if God has forgiven me, I can forgive myself. And I will forgive myself. Let me take you to Psalms 103. That's Psalms 103. And I'm going to read here from verse number 10. He, that's God, not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, the great is mercy to them that fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Like as the Father pit his children, so the Lord pit his them. To fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed your transgression. He has forgiven you for murdering your baby. You might have been stealing. You might have cheated on your husband or cheating on your wife. You might have committed incest with your children. Who knows what you've done? Some people have been into bestiality. There's a lot of stuff behind the surface that you don't talk about. And you know it. And you ask God to forgive you, but you can't forgive yourself. And that's why you're not healed. That's why God cannot move in your life because there's an obstacle there. And what you got to do is to simply say this. God is so good. God is love. He is my father. He has forgiven me. I asked him. Now, Lord, help me to forgive myself. For years, I didn't like myself. And I think I talked about this on the programs, but I want to talk about that just briefly here again. You see, if somebody asks you, who are you? You're going to identify yourself. You're going to tell people what other people have told about you. You didn't give yourself your name. You're going to say, this is my name. Well, that was given to you by your parents. You have been defined over the years being a baby, a child, a teenager, a young woman, a young man, and so on. And people have defined you, and you see yourself as people have defined you. I cannot do this. I cannot do that. I'm fat. I'm skinny. I'm this. I'm that. I can't talk, and so on. And we need to recognize your identity is in Christ. You are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. All things are gone and past. You are a new creation. And I looked upon myself. I looked upon my body. You know, I, I'm not a, what do you call it, have a body of a bodybuilder. And, you know, I got wrinkles in my face. It looked like, you know, a Mack truck went over my face. Uh, my hair was thinning out and so on, you know. I'm not looking that great, but God loves me. This is my vehicle. Your body is your vehicle. And simply say this, thank you, Lord, for what you gave me. Some of us got Ferraris. Some of us got Hondas. And some of us got some Ford. And, you know, if you lived in the 70s, you might be a Pinto, if you remember that old car. That was an ugly car hatchback. But you got to say this, God, whatever you made, however you made my body, you made me, you didn't make junk. I'm going to start loving myself as I am. I'm not going to say, well, I need my nose changed. I got ears. No, they're not good. You know, I need my, my legs need to change and so on. Accept what you got and simply say, Lord, I appreciate what I got. I thank you for what I have. And then simply say this now, through Christ, I'm a new creation. I might have been a bad person before. But now, through Christ, Christ lives in me, his righteousness, I'm going to begin to love myself. And simply look in the mirror and say, have your name as to stand in the mirror and say, I love you because Christ died for me. My soul and spirit is worth so much that Christ died for me. And he gave me a body to live here on this earth and to do his work in this body. I love this body. I'm thankful for this body. I'm going to take care of this body. I'm going to eat what's right. I'm not going to put junk in it. And simply say, I forgive myself. And then God can really begin to move in your life. Now, let me talk about Alan Pike. This is Ted Pike's wife, and she died a few years ago, about two years ago. 
And I'm, I'm a friend of Ted Pike. He and I have worked together over the years, exchange material and so on. He's working, trying to expose the world government and so on. And his wife got attacked. It started with a tumor in her head. They had surgery on and took the tumor out. And then after that, she began to have visions and all kind of different things. One time they were out camping and uh, she went into one of these bathrooms. You, ha- you know, you have these uh, toilets in camping places. And she stayed in there for half an hour. Finally, Ted got up and said, honey, uh, are you done? And she then asked, he opened the door. And she was standing, looking down into the mess that is under you know, the seat. And she said, Ted, can you see this? It's written in a, in a fire there. Jesus loves me. She said, I just can't get over that. He looked down, he couldn't see nothing, you know, but the waste of the human beings. He took her out and said, you know, you're seeing things that are not there. She began to get visitation at nights. She began to feel unworthy. She felt that she was a hindrance to his ministry. And Ted did not understand really what to do. He allowed to have her own bedroom. He allowed to have a key to a car and so on. And one day she talked to people in, the, in their ministry place there. And she said, what's the biggest, what's the highest bridge in Portland? And they told her that. And one night shortly after that, she took a car and drove out of that bridge and jumped over and killed herself. It took about six months before they found a body floating further down the coast on the coast of Oregon. So the devil took her out. The devil, he kills. He is a killer. And so you got to fight. I'm gonna share something personal from you. This took place about four years ago. And my wife had a similar situation to what Ted Pike's wife had. And it started out that she simply looked up from a bed and she saw the, the light the light fixture, dancing around, moving, coming down sideways in a closet, in a walk-in closet. She saw lights and stars. It was all kind of things coming out. She saw all kind of different things that she was just paranoid. We had to sleep with the lights on. And I don't sleep well when the lights are on. And so we didn't get a lot of sleep. And so we really had a fight on our hands. I never had a fight like this. I've been fighting my, for myself, I fought for other people, but not my wife. And things moved around. I, I mean, we had things move in the house. I had a big bottle of vitamins to be kept on top of the refrigerator. One day it just evaporated. And we looked and looked and looked and it was gone. Well, a month later, I found it in the freezer. I opened it and there it was in the freezer. It was not there the day before. We had things move. We couldn't find keys. We couldn't find this. I mean, our house was just one big mess of moving demons. And I simply realized this is a battle I'm having now. This is a lifetime battle. And I want to share with you here before I close here, how did I overcome this? And I started every morning. Every morning I started by reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, while this took place, I was still preaching. I still functioned at daytime. I had someone be my wife. I was able to function. But this is how I defeated these powerful evil spirit that had simply clustered in the house. I started reading 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war to the flesh. 
for the weapons of a warfare not caught up mighty through God to the punning of all strongholds, casting on imagination every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing to captivity every thought to the beings of Christ, and having the readiness to revenge all disobedience when the obedience is fulfilled. My wife was sitting at the breakfast table. She was not together. I mean, she could not remember things. I mean, she was a basket case. And I read these verses. And after I read them, I prayed. I prayed loud. And I said, Lord. And I just read this here. I cast down this imagination. I take dominion over this. I take dominion over that. I destroy your works in the name of Jesus. And then I went to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. And I read the following verses. Finding my brethren be strong in the Lord and the power is might. For on the whole armor of God, you may be able to stand in the wilds of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. And then I prayed loud. And I simply prayed and I said, now we're going to put the armor of God upon us here. And I repeated every day. I got after the principalities and powers and rulers in darkness. I just creamed those demons. And then I finished up with Second Timothy. For God has not given us a fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And I said, now we're going to get a sound mind, I told my wife. And I claimed that. I prayed that. This took place now. Probably for about four to five months. Four to five months. Every morning, every morning, I read these scriptures. I prayed the same prayers. And I simply said, I'm not going to budge. We're going to have the victory. We are going to have the victory. And one day, it broke. It was a battle. Some battle you can do in 10 seconds. Some battle take a week. Some battle might take a few months. But it broke. My wife got her mind back. There was no stuff anymore. We were sleeping in the dark now. We were just perfectly fine. Everything was destroyed. What was the difference between me and Ted Peck? I simply wouldn't let go. I was a bulldog. I simply got after those demons, and I said, you cannot steal my wife. You cannot have her. I am going to rebuke you, fight you, kick you till you give in, just like with Job. And eventually, God said, enough is enough. And we had the victory. Amen. Let me close this up here now. So what I'm trying to share with you, I had so many other things I was going to share with you. You can only get so much in in one hour. But I want to say this to you. You need to do this. Settle your salvation. Then begin to say, in the name of Jesus, I am not going to be defeated anymore. I'm going to move forward. If anything's going to move, it's going to be the demons. I'm not moving. Satan, you are moving. You stay with it. You proclaim it morning, noon, at night. I am healed by his stripes. Demons, get out of my system. You cannot be here in the name of Jesus. Keep on battling. Forgive. Release people. And you will eventually have the victory. Maybe in a day, maybe in an hour, maybe in a month, whatever it is. But you will have the victory. You simply walk and you see yourself healthy, full of health, 
and demons removed. That's how you do it. That's how you defeat the demons, the sickness, and depression. May God bless you. If you have a question, go to our website. I'll be glad to talk to you. And you'll find our website and everything else on Sheila's Archives. And our website is eaec.org, European American Evangelist Crusades. God bless you. Folks, that was John Terrell. Powerful show. Thank you, John, for that. As he said, that's eaec.org. And don't forget, like I said at the beginning, we're going to have a teleconference call-in line set up next week. Going to plan for it for Monday night at 6 p.m. Pacific. The call-in information is on today's show bio. That is for Thursday, March 23rd, 2017. And also, part one is in there as well. Be sure to call in with any question that you have. And we're going to air that show, Questions from You, the Listener. That's Q&A from the listeners. I'm really looking forward to that. I rescheduled with Russ Dizdar for when he is back from a couple of conferences. He's just been slammed, and we couldn't coordinate our dates. So he's going to be on real soon. It's called Pedogate, Witchcraft, and the Dark Underground Occult. That is a show you are not going to want to miss, so be watching for that. Again, please do get behind Sheila Live, which is our video equipment fundraiser for video and live streaming, and I very much appreciate your financial support. This broadcast is 100% listener-funded. As we get towards the end of the month, I ask you to please financially consider becoming a monthly partner. One-time donations are awesome, and I thank you for that. However, it is very hard to plan a budget on that. So please prayerfully consider becoming a partner of this ministry, and I thank you for that. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast. We'll see you next week. Good night, and God bless.